Ooh, I see something fun. Can we stop here? We can. And at the very top of this ridge coming off the Mons Pubis is a very important structure we call the clitoris. Right, the vagina's on the inside. Yeah, because if you want to see the vagina, you need two hands and a flashlight. Oh, we're doing male anatomy in this episode. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try. <laughs> what was that? Well, that's the foreskin. So it's best to have a condom on before pre-cum. Exactly. <gasps> you said that this was during menstruation, right? right? So I'm in a river here. I'm going to slide right on out of that cervix. What happens if a man has a vasectomy? It feels like there's grass or something underneath me and there, there's some waves going on. It's pushing you towards the uterus, right? You can break your penis. And when it's time to party, they're getting ejaculated, right? So we're going right. to take that ride with them. Hello, this is Betsy Cairo. I am a reproductive biologist and I'm here to jump into the next session of why it's not human sexuality. And today we're going to talk about reproductive anatomy and physiology. And with me I have... This is Mandy Johnson, high school teacher extraordinaire. And we're going to try and cover this on the radio. So you're sitting there thinking, how are they going to teach us reproductive anatomy and physiology without pictures? And I was kind of wondering that too. But I think the more I thought about it, I realized what I really want people to understand is the importance of using correct terminology and language when we do talk about reproductive anatomy and physiology. And one of the best examples I have of this is that when we're raising our kids to understand their body parts, we point to their eye and we say, this is an eye. And we point to their mouth and we say, this is a mouth. And we point to their elbow and we say, this is an elbow. And then we point to something below the belt and we say, and this is your pee-pee. And I, it always takes me back because I'm thinking, what? And if that's the game we're going to play, then uh, if that's a pee-pee, then your eye is a blink-blink, your mouth is a taste-taste, and your elbow is a bend-bend. Because what we're doing is we're describing things or labeling based on what they do and not really what they are. And the minute you separate out words like that or anatomical parts, we make them dirty or naughty or forbidden. And so in this presentation, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about some basic structures that... Um, uh, female anatomy has and male anatomy has, and we're going to get to how how they function and uh, go from there. So let's just start. Let's just start at the beginning. The way I usually like to teach this in class is to imagine that we're going to take a, a bike ride, a mountain bike ride. And so I'm going to be the guy today, and Mandy's going to hop on that bike. That's right, and we're going to take a ride through female reproductive anatomy where we're, we're gonna start we're gonna start downhill first though mandy because we're gonna start at the mons pubis and the mons pubis well mons is mayan for mountain and pubis meaning pubic bone and it's a it's a fat pad that that covers the pelvic bone and at pu the pubic bone and it has a purpose right i like to tell my students that it uh it protects us from when we are having sex that we're not basically knocking knees our pelvic bone isn't hitting another pelvic bone, so that fatty layer is there to be more like knocking thumb bases. That's right. And so it's for <laughs> it, it. And here's the interesting thing about nature: everything has form and function, right? And so the mons pubis has form and function. It has a fat pad and it has hair. And why was that? Well, because in the past we didn't wear clothes and we were naked running through the bush. And if you caught your bush on a bush, you were protected, right? And that's part of the reason. So we're riding my bike through this crazy forest. Right. And now going we're going downhill. Down downhill. And what do we hit? Well, we hit some ridges. Those first ridges, but 
before. Ooh, I see something fun. Can we stop here? We can. And at the very top of this ridge coming off the Mons Pubis is a very important structure we call the clitoris. Right? It looks like a lot of fun. It is fun. And it is. it only has one job. And its job is to give pleasure. It doesn't balance your checkbook or clean your house. It just gives pleasure. It serves no reproductive function? None whatsoever. Except it is for pleasure. And that is an important function. Probably the most important function, right? But we can't stay here for long because we got a couple of ridges we've got to get over. Because when you travel further down from the clitoris, you're going to hit some ridges. That first ridge is called the labia majora. That second ridge you're hitting is the labia minora. And these are often referred to as, in slang, we might say, uh, what would we call them? Lips? I do believe we call those the lips. Right. And so labia actually means lip and majora means large. And labia minora is small. And these are these little ridges that protect the entry into the vagina called the introitus. Now, Betsy, because they're called the labia minora, are they always smaller than the labia majora? Typically, yes. And they typically do not have hair on them, but the labia majora can have hair on them. Uh, because they are inside and they're smaller, they serve as the second guardian of the gate. But now we're going to go to the opening of the vagina, which is called the introitus. And it's really easy to remember the name of the introitus because the introitus must invite us in always. It's always with permission. So now we've entered in through the introitus and we're in this long cylindrical tunnel. It's a little bumpy in here. It's a little huh? bumpy in here. This ride's getting kind of four wheely. Yep, because the vagina has ridges. And the ridges are there for two reasons. One is for pleasure. And one is for function. Expansion. Expansion, right. That vagina has to expand to be able to pass the diameter of a fetus's head. So you can imagine there needs to be more tissue there. So we have more to work with. I like to describe the vagina kind of like curtains that can open and close. And it doesn't change anything when they're open. It doesn't stretch them. It doesn't change their size. They can always go back to, to the right. shrunken size originally. So Exactly, because like pleats in a curtain. That's a good analogy. Well, at the back of this cave, we're encountering another structure. It's smooth, it's round, and it has an opening in the middle, and this is called the cervix. And the cervix is an amazing organ. It's not very big, but it is really important. Because what it does is it is the keeper of the gate into the uterus. Am I going to be able to get through this on my bike? I think so, because we're going to go into the uterus during a time of uh, menstruation where the cervix is going to dilate. And we'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to pass through it. But once we're in the cervix, you're going to realize it gets even bumpier because it has ridges and little gates and little traps. And this is a the body's filter system to not let junk and debris get inside the uterus. The other thing about the cervix that's really important is that it needs to be screened periodically for um, health, right? For what we call cancer screenings. They used to be called pap smears, but now we call them cervical cancer screenings. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. And it's a catchy little phrase, right? Cervical cancer screening. But it's important. And women should do this at least once a year. But I think the new guidelines are now every three years. But we need to have your cervix screened just to make sure that it's healthy. And so consider this your friendly reminder that if you haven't had it done in a while, you probably should go get it checked. So entering into this, leaving the cervix and entering into the next structure, this is the uterus. And the uterus is a 
structure that I often like to refer to shaped like a hot air balloon. Do you use that analogy? I don't. I talk about it being like the size of a fist, but I've never referred to it as a hot air balloon. I like that. Yeah. So imagine a hot air balloon that is... And just picture a hot air balloon. It has a, it narrows at the neck, and the narrowing of the neck is actually the the cervix, right? And coming off that hot air balloon are two other structures, right? That that we call the fallopian tubes. But the important thing to remember about the uterus is that the lining of the uterus is called the endometrium, and this is actually what is shed or sloughed during a woman's menstrual cycle. And this happens so that the Internal structure of the of the uterus can stay maintain healthy and regenerated on a on a regular basis. And the uterus is a muscle, correct? Yeah, it it is. It's one of the strongest muscles because obviously uh, it has to contract pretty severely to be able to expel a fetus. The other interesting thing point about a uterus is even though you say it's like the size of your fist, or even some people use it to equate it to the size of a pear, it goes from that size to the size of a watermelon during pregnancy. It and spans then, like 80 times its size or something, right? Right, exactly. So going from you know 6 centimeters to 40 centimeters and then back to 6 centimeters is a pretty big deal in a matter of 10 days. So it's an amazing muscle and, and one we want to keep healthy. So now we're at the tip of the uterus. We're on our bikes. Do we want to go right or left? Well, it's a hard choice. I think I'd like to go left this time. Okay. So as you're looking at the tip of the uterus, turning left is, you know. It's a really narrow tunnel. It's a really narrow tunnel. We're entering in to that structure off the uterus called the fallopian tube. Now, what are you encountering? Are you getting some wave-like action? It feels like there's grass or something underneath me in there. There's some waves going on. Right. Pushing so, me in the wrong direction, that's though, That's right. Betsy. It's pushing you towards the uterus, right? Because what's going on inside this fallopian tube is a wave-like action with little hairs called cilia. And these hairs move back and forth almost in the same rhythm as a wave hitting the sand. Kind of picture it equal to a person being transported up a stadium during a game where they're pa- transporting a person from person to person overhead. That's what this these hair-like structures are doing. And they're trying to push you towards back towards the uterus because they think you're the egg and that you need to stay there and you know implant and, gr- and grow a pregnancy. So what we have to do is we kind of have to get into the center of this tube so that we can get into the wave-like motion that's going to get us to the end. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's okay. go. All right. So it's not a very long, it's not a very long trip. It's about four inches, eight centimeters long, and we're going to get to the very end. What do you see? I see a lot of different branches branching off of here. Yep. And that is a structure that's called the fimbria. The fimbria are these finger-like projections at the end of this fallopian tube. We can't really go any further than this because if we step outside this fallopian tube... We're going to fall out. We are. Because the ovary is not attached to the to the fallopian tube, as you can see, it's sitting kind of over. Looks like I'd have to jump. You would, or I don't. I don't know that trick on a bike. Yeah, and we don't have enough traction. <laughs> so right from here, we're just going to view the ovary from where we are in this tunnel. The ovary, as you can see, is not very big. It's about the size of a thumb, about one and a half by one and a half by about a half inch in uh, diameter, and. It's really powerful, and the only thing that keeps the ovary from floating up to be next to the liver is the ovarian ligament, and that is attached to the to the uterus. Can you see that? I can see that. Right. And it's a really important structure that maintains the movement of the ovary, but also allows it to sort of be free-flowing, right? 
this structure, the ovary, is where all of our female hormones come from. And it's a really important structure that we want to be kind to and not cause it to shut down or malfunction. But the ovary eventually gets pretty tired, and that's what sends us into this process we call menopause. Menopause. (laughs) What I think is really cool about the ovary is that uh, females are born with all of the follicles that they're ever going to have inside there already, and every month we just mature one. Yep, about 400,000. And people are like, well, that's not fair. Men develop sperm every month until they die, and we're only given a set number. I promise you 400,000 is plenty. We won't use all of them. Not even close. I wouldn't even want to. <laughs> Definitely not. And so that's kind of that's kind of the structure, external and internal, of female reproductive anatomy. You ready it was to, a fun bike ride. It was. You ready to head out? I'm ready to go. All right. So wave goodbye to that ovary and let's hit it. All right. I'm going to travel the path of an egg. So if I was an egg, I would have started there in the ovary and I'd have made that jump into the fimbrae. And from the fimbrae, I'm going to ride the wave in the fallopian tube back down to the uterus. Okay, now I'm back in the uterus and I'm sliding, sliding. You said that this was during menstruation, right? right. So I'm in a river here. I'm going to slide <laughs> right on out of that cervix. <laughs> and you bet. And then we're going to. I a little opening, but I'm going to make it through. And yeah. now, now I'm back in the vagina. There's a bunch of ridges uh, going down that hill. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then where are we? We're at the introitus. Back at the introitus. Yeah. Ready, to, ready to ride back out on that vulva. And there we go. Daylight. That was a great ride. Did we actually talk about what a vulva is, Betsy? Well, it's not the vagina. The vulva is an important structure that protects the external portion of the reproductive anatomy. So the vulva is the only thing you can see on a female, correct? Oh, that's right. So when the media says vagina or don't look at my vagina or I'm going to bedazzle my vagina, they really mean vulva. Right. The vagina is on the inside. Yeah, because if you want to see the vagina, you need two hands and a flashlight. <laughs> There's more, right? Go all the way out. <laughs> well, I don't know. Are we kind of tired? Do we want to do that trek over those two ridges all the way back up to the Mons Pubis? And here we are. That's a great view. Do you want to stop back at the Clitters and have a little bit more fun? You know I do. So imagine what a sperm has to do, right? I mean, sperm have tails. They are modal. And that's one of the reasons, right? Why? Because they have to swim through all the structures we just rode our bikes on and get up into the fallopian tube and and kind of battle those those wave-like um, motions, right? Back and forth and back and forth. It, I guess you could kind of equate it to salmon swimming upstream. Not an easy job. No. You know, once fertilization takes place, we now have an embryo, and the body takes over and rolls that embryo down towards the uterus. You know what's fun just like a clitoris, Betsy? No. A penis. Oh, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about that, shall we? Let's do. All right. So external male anatomy, basically just have the penis and the scrotum, which houses the testicles. Correct. All right. So do you want to walk us through that? Well, if we're gonna if we're trying to equate the penis to the clitoris, the most sensitive part on the penis is the glands, right? The tip of the penis. And then below the glands is the shaft, right? And in my day we always had the saying, you got the shaft. So I think that's kind of what maybe they're referring to an elevator shaft, but I actually think they were referring to that. So inside, uh, there are structures though inside the penis that are uh, responsible for erection. We'll get to those in a minute because first I think we should just talk about the scrotum and the testicles. Well, the scrotum obviously is my favorite thing to talk about. I think it's a really cool structure. 
I think when we're talking about the penis and the, and the testicles and the scrotum, um, or e- any male and female anatomy, we're doing that correlation. I always tell I always tell my students that male anatomy, reproductive anatomy, and female reproductive anatomy is like Mexican food, right? So it's all the same ingredients. It just looks differently. So, for instance, if you have a flat tortilla, tortilla sure, and it has beans and cheese and lettuce and tomatoes, we call it a tostada. But if you fill it in half, we call it a taco. And that's kind of how the male and female reproductive anatomy is. And that's why when we were talking about the clitoris and then we jumped to the glands, it's the same tissue. It's just bigger, right? And and that's kind of an important thing to remember because that portion of the penis is for pleasure. And then we go down the glands to the shaft of the penis that leads us to the base um, of the penis. And at that, we have the scrotum and the testicles. And inside the scrotum are the testicles. Why are the testicles outside of the body? Well, the testicles have to be a lower temperature than the rest of the body so that sperm can have optimal development. I think the scrotum is really cool, though, because the scrotum has muscles in it, which you can describe a lot better than I can, but it has muscles to to move the testicles a little farther away from the body if they get too warm and a little closer to the body if they get too cold. And I think it's pretty nifty because I don't have anything on my body that both detects temperature and then moves accordingly. I know, right? I think that's a neat neat. It, a neat feature. It is a neat feature. And inside uh, inside those muscles, those muscles are called the cremaster muscles, and they are uh, temperature dependent. And those muscles surround the structure inside the inside the spermatic cord are veins called the pampiniform plexus. And the pampiniform plexus works much like the radiator car. So the warm blood leaving the body is cooled by the cooler blood leaving the testicle so that the blood that enters into the testis is three to five degrees cooler than body temperature. And that's how we maintain, another way we maintain the temperature of the testes. Because as we know, Sperm are really susceptible to heat shock or temperature or cold shock, and they need just that that right temperature to produce a normal sperm. So tell us about these testicles, Betsy. I think it's really cool. Well, the testicles, typically, um, if the fetus is XY, it's, it's born with two. One is typically larger than the other, and they don't ride side by side. They kind of ride one in front of the other, and, of course, with nature, as we said, form and function. And this is so men can walk easier, right? So they have sort of a gait going on that. But um, the testicles are about one and a half to two inches in length and about three-quarters inches in diameter, And uh, they secrete one of the most uh, important male hormones, which is testosterone. Although there is another structure internally that secretes even more potent testosterone, and that's a prostate. But we'll get to that in a minute. Inside the testicle are some important structures, and these are called the seminiferous tubules. What happens inside those? Well, it's like a, it's kind of a conveyor belt of making a sperm. So imagine this gigantic warehouse where we have different stages of something that you're putting together. So for instance, if you were putting together a radio, you would have certain different parts, and as it moved down the conveyor belt, somebody would add something to that, and at the very end, you have a radio. Well, in man, it's no different, and along the seminiferous tubule, we have different stages of development of a sperm. Did you know that sperm start out as a round cell? I did not know that, Betsy. They start out as a a round cell, and then during maturation, they begin to elongate, and during that elongation process, they eventually develop a tail, or what we call a flagellum. That allows them to be modal. 
as they're developing along the seminiferous tubule, there's this central portion of the testes that's kind of a, it's like a hallway. It's called the reedy testes. And they actually back into that hallway and migrate up to this structure that is attached to the epididymis or attached to the testicle, but it's separate and it's called the epididymis. Do you know the different parts of it? Uh, there's the tail, the mid, and the head. Yeah. And I like to describe it to my students as sort of a mohawk sitting on top of the testicle, the way, the way it just holds Oh, sure. On. Um, I have a little stuffed, stuffed testicle in my classroom, and the epididymis is his mohawk. <laughs> That's a great analogy. So I also tell my students that the way... Never mind. We're not ready for that yet. We need to okay. know all the other parts. Well, as the sperm are migrating up towards the epididymis, they go through this duct system called the afferent ducts, and they get into the epididymis because they're not ready yet. They haven't been polished. They have to do some final maturation, and that does incur uh, take place in the epididymis, in the he- in the head, the midpiece, and the tail, where they f- are finally mature enough to be ejaculated. I think you have another analogy about that. Yeah, I like to I like to tell my students that the testicle is where the sperm is born. It's where it goes to preschool, kindergarten. Yeah. Right? Right? But when it moves into the epididymis, the headpiece is kind of like elementary school. That's where they spend the first few bits of their life. And then the midpiece is your middle school years. And then the end piece, sorry, the tail piece there is high school, where you sit and wait until graduation. Right. And everybody loves a good graduation party, right? <laughs> so what happens at graduation is when the sperm are ready, they get to be ejaculated. That's where sperm are stored, is in the tail of the epididymis. And they're not modal, really, until that point. And that's an important distinction. So from the epididymis, uh, attached to the tail of the epididymis, is a long tube-like structure that we equate to the fallopian tube. But this one's a lot longer, and this is called the vas deferens. And there are two of them, correct? Typically, there are two. And this vas deferens will migrate up through the pelvis, around, and come around to the base of the bladder, and meet two more structures. The first structure it meets are called the seminal vesicles. And these seminal vesicles secrete the first part of semen. Right. Uh, That's all they do. You used to believe that they stored sperm, hence the word seminal vesicle. A vesicle is like a pouch or uh, a container that holds things. But they don't, they really don't store sperm. They secrete seminal fluid. And they're an outpocketing or a pouch off of the vas deferens. And then as the vas deferens is coming in, it meets up with the structure that sits at the base of the bladder, and that's called the prostate. And this is something that sits pretty deep in a man's pelvis. And that's why when it becomes, um, infected or diseased, it's a pretty big deal because we have to go kind of deep in there to either surgically repair it or to surgically remove it. But the other part of that is that the prostate also secretes seminal fluid, but it's called prostatic fluid. And here near the prostate gland, isn't this where the tube splits off so that it could either go to the bladder or to the reproductive organs? Yes, because the 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 tube that goes through the penis is called the penile urethra, and that travels all the way up to where you get to the prostate, and then that's called the prostate urethra, and then to the base of the neck of the bladder. And what happens during ejaculation is that the sperm, uh, when a man gets an erection, the neck of the bladder closes. That's to allow the sperm, as they're being ejaculated, to not backtrack into the bladder, what we call a retrograde flow, and actually to be expelled through the prostate and out the end of the penis. This is an important distinction because i got to tell you, there's a story, you know, men wake up in the morning with an erection and a full bladder. And they want to what empty their bladder. Do? What do they do? Well, they don't want to. They don't want to wait it out, right? Because they're in a hurry, and maybe they don't want to masturbate that morning to get rid of their erection. 
So they try to pee with an erection. And that's just not okay because what you're doing is you're trying to force open a valve that is closed for a biological reason. And if you keep pressing on that and forcing that issue in the morning to pee with an erection, you could damage the nerves that close that bladder closing and you could end up a retrograde ejaculator and we really don't want that. Nobody wants that. No, because then getting pregnant through intercourse is going to be near impossible. So what happens next? Well, as the sperm are passing through the prostate and out the end of the penis, that is what we refer to, as you said earlier, as ejaculation. But really, what causes erection? Well, blood causes erection. Yep. It's called increased blood flow, decreased venous return. And there are two structures inside the penis that allow this. We have the corpus cavernosum and the corpus spongiosum. And they are these cylinders. I don't want you to think of a cylinder, but they're kind of delineated tissue that allows blood to flow into it so that the tissue in the penis becomes hard and the penis becomes larger in diameter and typically longer in length. These two structures, you can kind of picture them as a lake where a lake has a border, right? And when we fill that lake, it can become bigger, but it still maintains its boundaries. And this is an important distinction for erection. So again, erection is increased blood flow, decreased venous return. And those structures capture that blood, allowing that to happen. So I know we talked about erection, right? And we and we kind of talked about ejaculation, but there's actually something really important that happens when uh, an erection does occur. And one of those is the secretion of what we call pre-cum, right? Or you might call them love drops or something like that. But it's just, it's the fluid that comes out of the end of the penis prior to full sexual activity. And this liquid or fluid is, is produced by the Cowper's gland. And the reason this happens, again, form and function with Mother Nature, the reason this happens is because they're sort of the sentinel fluid, right? They're sent out to clean out the reproductive tract to try to balance the pH because, you know, urine was passing through there and sperm and urine are not, you know, compatible. And so they kind of flush it out and make it a a cleaner slate for when ejaculation does occur and the sperm cells plus the seminal fluid exit the body. Now, that pre-cum can also contain sperm, Betsy, right? Oh, of course, because sperm can hang out anywhere along the reproductive tract after ejaculation. When somebody ejaculates, it's not like flushing a toilet. It's not like, whoop, it's gone and we've got a clean bowl. It's not like that because there are sperm that hang back because they're not flushed out. It's not the power flush of, you know... The toilet bowl. It actually, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? I the, do understand what you're saying, Betsy. <laughs> the residue of all of it. So that part's really important. But you know what else pre-cum can contain? What else can it contain? Viruses and bacteria. So it's best to have a condom on before pre-cum. Exactly. Even if you're going to have perform oral sex on a man, condom first. Sounds like a good idea. But I want to wrap up with terminology, right? And I think people don't understand when we say the word semen, it's a catch-all term that includes seminal fluid plus sperm cells. And one of the questions I'm always asked in class is, what happens if a man has a vasectomy? Does he ejaculate any fluid? That's a great question. And the answer is yes, he does ejaculate. But the only thing that is in the ejaculate is seminal fluid. The sperm cells have been prohibited from leaving the body because of the vasectomy. 
Semen, as I just said, is a catch-all term that includes sperm cells plus seminal fluid. And where a man gets a vasectomy is down low. Remember, we talked about the vas deferens. That portion is just clipped or tied or, or removed. A little section is removed. But that has nothing to do with the upper portion where we have the seminal vesicles and the prostate, right? So that fluid is still expelled. But keep in mind, there can still be bacteria and viruses. So the sperm get to graduate. They just don't get to have a party. That's right. Sad sperm. So, Mandy, if a man is not vasectomized and his vas deferens is open, right, what path does the sperm take? Well, let's jump on that party bus and let's see where they go after ejaculation. So, before ejaculation, they started in the testicles and moved to the vas deferens. And when it's time to party, they're getting ejaculated, right? So, we're going to take that ride with them. We're going to hop on that party bus and go straight through the vas deferens, right up a big mountain to the seminal vesicles. We're going to get joined by some fluid. We're going to ride that ride down to the prostate, get some more fluid, and we're taking that bus all the way into the urethra and out the penis. That's right. But there's a structure I saw on the way out. What was that? Well, that's the foreskin, right? And all men are born with the foreskin. And this is a a sleeve-like structure of skin that covers the um, head of the penis, what we call the glands. And sometimes it's removed. And when it's removed, it's called circumcision. That's right. Well, that wraps up our session on reproductive anatomy and physiology. I'm Dr. Betsy. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And we are so glad you joined us. We hope you join us for our next episode. It will be about sex, assigned gender, gender identity, and gender in general. I'm excited to hear about that. If you have any questions regarding this or any previous episodes, you can reach us at info at lookbothways.org. That's I-N-F-O at L-K-B-T-H-W-Y-S dot org. See you next time. Coming up on the next episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. So what do you think sex is, Mandy? Isn't that what two people do together when they love each other, Betsy? No. So gender is a social construct. It's a boy. Or it's a girl. Advanced warning would have been really nice to have when I was going through my parenting years. I think we would all agree with that. Finally, you say, hey, it's Barbie or nothing. Women who are assertive in their jobs come across as bitchy. But men who are assertive in their jobs are just good at what they do. Right. They're CEO material. And I hope you don't feel like you're a terrible parent at this point. I'm a family and consumer sciences teacher. I'm starting my third year of this program at the school I'm at, and I haven't had a boy in the class yet. When we look across the board at a lot of the most famous chefs, which is cooking. All male. And when we look at a lot of the famous hairdressers. All male. And when we look at all the famous design clothes designers. Also all male. Right. Peer pressure. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, Mr. McLean never cleaned the house. He just stood there and made sure she did it right. Stay with us for episode three of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Hannah Copeland, the podcast editor and engineer. For more episodes and info, go to lkbthwys.org.